everyone, Dr. Mike Reed from Carbon Masters International. Welcome to our power talk on cervical traction and how to implement cell and measure changes in your practice. Uh, the reason I'm taking uh, tonight to really uh, focus in on this subject is because a lot of my doctors are always asking, hey, Dr. Mike, when do you implement uh, the traction unit? What type? How often do you do it? Um, where do you put it? You know, this is a question that really uh, is best focused on during a training, like a live training at our seminars. And since we're doing that like once or twice a year, I thought I'd throw this in as a reference for those doctors who really want to uh, focus in on, you know, the best way to, to implement this, put this into the practice and uh, to uh, really just sort of build it to the next level. So that's what we're basically focused on tonight is basically how to implement implement uh, the traction in your practice. Now, you know, one of the keys that I ask my doctors is what type of practice are you operating? So I want to pre-frame this call with this for those of you who are sort of still stuck in that pain-based model and trying to move more towards a corrective wellness-based model is, is your practice subjective or is it objective? What I mean by that is, do you find that you're still stuck in that pain-based model? I want to share with you some of my experiences, the research behind what I've discovered in the last you know, 25 years of practice that has allowed me to build that seven-figure practice. And I think if you can wrap your mind around this and understand that you know, chiropractic is for life, it really is, it's, it's for life and for a lifetime, that if you understand that and can start to focus on Building the concept that the first six months or 12 months are really designed to get through a component of correction, getting the body to express its optimal functionality and its optimal uh, neural expression, then I think you'll get a better idea of where we're going with this. Because, you know, when we look at the research, and this comes from James Chestnut's book on 14 Foundational Premises, for the scientific and uh, philosophical validation of the chiropractic wellness paradigm is there's no research papers to support evidence for adjusting until pain is gone and then not seeing a patient until pain is present. So any study that uses pain as the reason for invention or for pain relief as the outcome is usually studying medicine and not chiropractic. So we've all seen that where people are feeling better, they're gone, they come back with pain. Um, you know, but the biggest question I have for the doctors is what about the other 90% of the nervous system? A number of years ago, I heard Pat Gentempo say that. He goes, well, what about the other 90% of the nervous system? And it really struck a chord because when we look at the subjective component or the sensory component, that is literally only 10%. And this is Dave Major's feeling versus function post, or I think it's amazing. I use it right over top of my substation when I'm explaining, I'm looking at functionality of the autonomic and motor system. The sensory, which is 10%, is subjective, which means only a patient can feel pain. You really even can't measure it. I mean, you can use it on a Westry scale and things like that, but for the most part, it's very, very difficult to measure pain. Um, and different cultures have different sensitivities, right? So we know that an Asian culture um, has a very, very high threshold to pain, and you get a Caucasian culture has a very low um, you know, sensitivity to pain. So it all depends. So... You know, when you look at the subjective findings, I'm talking about guys who talk about pain, orthopedic tests, things that are really that are non-objective or non-reproducible. Um, the subjective findings are pain-based, and as I mentioned, can always only be measured by pain scales like the Westry. Um, the symptoms are also the last to show and the first to disappear. So a symptom 
is really the body's innate intelligence telling you something is wrong. It's actually a good thing to have. And I tell it to my patients, you have pain, that's good. Because that means your body's intelligence is working. If you didn't have it, you know, that's like the fire alarm not working while you've got a fire in your house. So it's actually good that we have symptoms, but we can't judge your health or functionality um, based on that. The other challenge with this is usually symptomatic changes are gone anywhere from 6 to 18 adjustments. Now, we've seen the person come in with a headache. Um, I'm going to use a migraine, for example. And when you've done your initial workup, you usually find that it's been a chronic problem. It's been there for about 10 years on average. Um, their cervical x-rays usually show a military reverse curve. Neurologically, they're on fire. There's usually a lot of suboccipital neurological stress. So the first thing to disappear is usually the symptoms. People start feeling better. And a number of years ago, I challenged doctors. We had this argument. I said, you send me any of your patients that you feel are done care, and I'm going to x-ray, I'm going to do a scan, and I'll guarantee I'm still going to see loss of normal curve, and I'm still going to see nerve interference. And nobody took me up on that challenge because I think they knew deep down that we were right, that, that there is more to be done for the patients. So uh, it is also a contradiction for a chiropractor's wellness-based practice. What I mean by that is there is a, uh, a, a, ch a challenge with you and I who get adjusted once a week and we will for the rest of um, our lives. So when we look at you and I getting adjusted on average 52 times a year for forever, um, you know, in the big pictures of things that um, we need to make sure that that we actually get that message to the patients. And we look at an international average of 10. Well, that, that really is, is brutal because we're leaving patients really in sense unfinished. In my books, that's negligence. It really is. So the question comes down to, you know, if you could actually make those changes, would you? So there was another study by Furman and Gallo in the Neurophysiology of Human Behavior and said the less healthy the patient, based on function and not symptoms, the more adjustments they will need to create a healthy nervous system that has been lost due to uh, subluxations. So it was kind of interesting because, you know, what these guys are saying is that the, the more symptoms, the, the, the more chronic the condition the more sick our patients are, that they are in neurological stress. And the neurological integrity has dropped so much that, you know, they need more than just 10 adjustments. And that's basically what they were saying. And you basically are basing their health not on symptoms but on functionality. And I'm going to get to that in a minute because when we look at objective findings, there's only really two things that we can use that really validate ongoing care, and, and that's looking at objective findings of fu function and structure. So, you know, coming back to understanding the philosophy, if you look at this graph, um, and this is the brain-body diagram you've seen me use in the past, is the left side is really chiropractic. And when we look at the full expression of innate intelligence through the nervous system, that's defined as health. And that's expression at 100%, unless the taps are fully turned on. We look at the right side, that right side is really medicine. And when I refer to that, um, when you get into a, a brain body interference of subluxations, a state of malfunction, a state of dis-ease, the body eventually presents as a symptom. And this is why when we look internationally, um, the health of the human population, it's sick because it's, it's controlled by a medical model. It says more drugs or, you know, um, less organs, basically more surgery. 
and that's not a solution. So when you look at the repair mechanism to swing people from the right to the left side, it's an audacious task. And, and you know, on top of that, when you look at the changes in people's um, uh, neurochemistry and you look at lifestyle changes, that doesn't happen the first 10, 20, you know, 30 adjustments. That happens in 6 to 12 months, 12 months plus. And it really does. And I'm saying that from experience. And a lot of you have seen that. And the lifestyle changes I'm referring to are less colds and flus and better sleep and less stress and fertility issues. That list goes on and on. So can you make those changes and 10 adjustments? No. And I want to suggest that, you know, any governing board or any sort of institution that's that's suppressing chiropractic from serving more than 10 or 20 is negligent and they're practicing medicine. So, you know, I will challenge any of these people to understand that, um, you know, it does take a lot longer to make those neurological changes and structural changes. I mean, when you look at cervical curves, how many of you have ever had a patient come in, they've got that military neck reverse curve or anterior head carriage, and, you know, they're not teaching this in the chiropractic college when they, they should be because you can actually make structural changes. I mean, if a, an orthodontist can make change in the teeth, you know, why is it so hard to believe that we can't make changes in the cervical spine or the spine for that matter? So, you know, this was a very poignant number of years ago, and I was at a, a seminar in Toronto, and this is Dr. Jack Ellis of Brampton. It's 1992, and I'm sitting listening at a David Singer seminar, and this guy's on stage ranting and, and screaming and, and going, it takes 150 adjustments in order to make corrective changes. It takes 150 adjustments in order to make neurological changes. I thought this guy is a kook. He was crazy. But the way he said it and what he said was, was very poignant, and it stayed with me for years. And the more I got into practice, the more I realized I, I was the lost one. It wasn't Jack that was the, the, the quack. Um, he was actually right. It takes about 150 adjustments in order to make structural changes. So that was kind of cool because I realized that, you know, most people coming into our practices are usually there and they're in a chronic, um, you know, condition and it takes time to actually make correction. So one of the things that we look at in a subluxation-based exam is we're going to look at seven criteria. And if you're, you know, observing this, um, you want to maybe take a screenshot of this, make sure you put this into your examinations. But the first is posture. Posture, I, I check, you know, anterior head carriage, I check shoulders, I check scapula, leveling, I check crest. And those are the four areas I use. So from the side, it's anterior head carriage. I'll look at head tilt as well, but it's usually shoulders, scapula, and then and then pelvis. And I'll, I'll capture that. Um, range of motion. Range of motion um, is usually really prohibited, especially in chronic conditions. People who are grossly subluxated and having uh, major chronic problems. Weight distribution, I use two weight scales. So when they're, I'm checking posture in front of a mirror, I'm also checking the weight distribution, four or five pounds normally within normal. But when we start getting 10 and 20 pounds, you know, we're looking at a dysfunctional spine, usually a hip and flexor extension, and of course, the uh, resulting uh, spinal curve. The leg length, especially if you're checking leg length um, when people are face down, although that can be subjective for the most part, you'll see gross changes in leg length, especially if you're using techniques like Thompson. And then palpation. Now, the problem with those first five is that you're going to find in the first 12 to about 18 adjustments. So let's say you're doing a progress exam every 12. Those are going to disappear very quickly. Um, you know, palpation findings might be there, but not that hard end feel, that subluxation patterns that you see in the beginning. 
The two that you really have that I like to use that are objective, I can control more of the outcome with regards to the variables in my practice, are x-ray and then um, the core score. Or I like to use the, the three tech of the ins, uh, Insight Subluxation Station, and that's the SCMG, which is going to look at dyspinesis, and that's the motor um, uh, function of the nervous system, that, the, the, the component that is the uh, peripheral nervous system and allows us to control movement, the voluntary component. The other is thermography, and that is going to look at dysautonomia, or um, the aberrant functionality of the autonomic nervous system. And then you've got HRV, which is the heart rate variability that really looks at the body's ability to adapt to stress as by way of the autonomic nervous system. Now, I like those three, and I won't use algometry or um, any of the pain index because those, like the first five, clear up and they're gone. So I really don't have anything to, to really market against. What I do use is structure, x-ray, and function, um, neurological integrity. And it doesn't matter if you use, you know, myovision, as long as you have something that you can measure neurological activity. Because really that's what we are. We were, we're spine and neurological doctors. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of CLA's Insight. Uh, I've been using it for 25 years in practice. I still use it. I love that they have a core score because people can associate high blood pressure um, same analogy that I use when I use this and I'm explaining to my patients, we're looking at neurological integrity. Our goal is to get you in the green, get you 80 plus. And it's it's perfect because you know most people will be yellow, orange, or red, and they're in transition or they're neurologically challenged. And I love that you get a score, you can reassess. And just for those who are listening, um, I reassess that from the initial exam at three months, six months, and then at the 12 month. And then yearly thereafter. So if I'm doing a six-month care plan, it's at the third month and six. So I just want to plant that seed. And if I'm doing a 12-month program, it's at three months, six months, and then once again at 12 months. And the reason we do that is because we want to goalpost our patients. I want something that they're going to look forward to for uh, excitation and anticipation. They're, they're going to be excited about, hey, what's coming up next and, and you know what's going to happen down the road. So we implement that. At those uh, points, I've also discovered that if we miss it, then we can tend to slip back to that pain-based model. How are you feeling today? How's the back pain? And what happens is subconsciously they're feeling better, so they're going to step out of the practice. And this is where you see your retention low, your PVA low, and you're wondering what's going on with my practice. So I'm, I'm very adamant, I'm a stickler when it comes to this, of using these two criteria uh, and looking for change. And, and consider that... You know, when you consider a phase one of spinal decay in the neck, I'm just going to use the neck, for example. Phase one has been there for 10 to 15 years, um, and that's still, it, it has, you know, uh, patent uh, disc space. Um, there's usually just a, a straightening of the, the spine or anterior head carriage. Phase two, we're getting the disc thing and bone spring. That's been there for 20 to 25 years. And, of course, we get to a phase three, we get fusion. And, you know, I will actually use this because at 30 to 40 years, you really can't correct this. You're going to be able to adjust effectively neurologically. But I use this uh, to let people know that it gets to the point where it's irreparable. And we want to catch a phase one and phase two and work towards getting things back to textbook normal. Although there might be existing signs of spinal decay from a phase two, we can actually work back to textbook normal. And people see a phase three, four, and they're going to like, you know, they're, they're, they're slightly scared. It's like, I don't want to look like that. So um, it's important that you really emphasize, you know, not only the philosophy and neurological integrity, but really the structure. And this is why 
I'm big on taking x-ray. It's important not just to remove pathologies, you know, um, and rule out structure, um, sorry, uh, instance of, of fractured tumors, infections, congenital blocks, but more importantly, so I can see as a blueprint. So I can actually work with the spine and get structure back to normal. So here's some of the spines you're going to see. And, and this is where, you know, the 10 and 20 uh, adjustments just don't cut the mustard. And why I'm always making recommendations for minimum six months, especially when we get a military neck like this. Now that's been there for 10 to 15 years. And just keep in mind that the apex is at C5-6, right? So when we say C5-6 and I talk about the apex, it's really important to understand that um, that's going to be an apex point for your cervical traction. So if you, you know, if you're listening to this and you got pen and paper, just remember military curves, loss of normal structure, it's usually around C5-6 that we're going to have the patient use the apex of the curve in order to pre-stress. Now, I'm going to talk about the physiology behind that and how it works in a minute. I just want you to understand that there's different types of curves. There's going to be different apex. Um, a very common one that you'll, you'll see as well is this next one, which is um, the reverse curve. And that reverse curve is very common that we see in uh, migraine patients, patients with, um, you know, uh, neurologies down the arms, um, pins and needles, weakness. Uh, reverse curves are very common, especially in a, in a phase one. And we see this, you know, in, in early younger uh, stages of de development, too. You'll see it in uh, you know, teenagers. You'll see it in kids in their 20s. So it's not uncommon to see a lot of these. I've actually seen this in a five-year-old. So, you know, falls from the crib at an early age and they're not properly corrected. Hence why, you know, I'm a stickler at taking x-rays, especially lateral C-spine at five and up. And um, I have seen osteochondromas. Um, so don't hesitate to take a, at least a lateral C-spine in, you know, in young curves at an early age. This would be a reverse curve with an anterior head carriage. Now, you can measure um, the anterior head carriage. As well, I'm not going to get into x-ray marking tonight, but understand that you want to find the apex. I like to have it marked on my files and on my x-rays, especially if I'm popping up x-rays, to actually coordinate, um, you know, home-based traction with the patient. So the apex on the anterior head carriages can be at C5-6, but they can also be at T1-2, and that's a pivotal area to help bring the head carriage back over the shoulders. Especially we're going to see this in people that have Parkinson's, um, you're going to see this in, in seniors, uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s. This is very, very common place to see this. And then you're going to get the funky curves. Um, and this is important to understand these. These are uh, a different curves that we see. And the very first one uh, on the left, I'll just call this frame A. This is what we call a lordotic S-shaped curve. And these are a lot more difficult to correct. But you're going to see a lordosis at the top of the neck. You see a, a sharp kyphotic reverse curve. Usually at C5-6, that's the apex point because you want to swing that curve back over that point. I think you guys can imagine that. And then we get into a, a B curve, and that's a kyphotic S-shaped curve. So those hash lines that you see on there, you can see in frame B, that's like a reverse S where frame A is like an S-shape. So a kyphotic S-shaped curve usually has the apex at about C2-3. I apologize, that says C5-6, that's a little typo. That should say uh, C23. And what I mean by that is the apex is going to be higher on this one than all the others. So in a kyphotic S-shaped curve, you're going to have that apex of your traction uh, right around C2 and C3. 
And then uh, curve C is just another reverse curve that you'll see. And you'll often see this if you count those levels on frame C's, one, two, three, four, five, six. Five, six are often levels where we're going to see a lot of DDD and bone spurring. And that's your pivotal point. You're going to help open up that disc space. And we're going to get into a little bit um, and just how to do it. So just to give you an idea, here's a case, case study of, a, of an actual patient of mine. This is Cheryl. And she had an MVA. Uh, she had a rollover. A lot of uh, paresthesias in the arms, neck pain, migraines, and uh, we took this x-ray and she had that reverse curve. Now, I mark my curves as well. Uh, if you're digital x-ray, you can actually digitally mark it, which is fantastic. This is uh, back in the dinosaur ages before we had the digital x-ray. But you'll see she had a negative 5 degrees. Um, um, normal is around 40, 42. And she was 108 degrees less than the normal. Now, I actually will take that, calculate that as a percentage less than normal. So, you know, if you have a military neck, um, that's zero out of 40, which is 100%. Anything negative that goes in the opposite direction. So if you had a negative 10, it's 125%. If you have like a negative 20 degrees, true reversal, like a severe reversal, it's negative 150 off, off normal. So that way I can actually show uh, changes. And then um, you'll see here at six months, we have from a negative 5 to 23, and then that's at 12 months, 32 degrees. So we were able to put in from a negative 5 to a plus 32, 37 degrees of curve, which is significant in 12 months. Of course, symptoms are gone, but she's still not done care, is she? Because, you know, we can get that 32 up to a 40, 42, complete the curve, slow down any future degeneration. And, of course, neurologically, um, you know, that's going to help uh, complete the neurological expression from above down. So let's get back to the philosophy. Let's get back to structure. Let's get back to function. So how do I do this? And I just want to share with you two different care plans that I use. And But I'm going to preframe that with the type of exams that I use. So your first exam is known as a progress exam. Now, what I mean by that, a progress exam is a biostructural checkup. It's quick. All you need is weigh scales. In a mirror, you can do this in your T-bar. So <clears throat> in the busier practices, I'll, I'll get two exam stations going. One's going to be in the T-bars. And all you need is if you have a T-bar, um, you just have it in one room. So you have your wall mirror with the racing stripes in red, uh, the shoulder levels, hip levels down the center, and two-way scales. And what I do is a quick biostructural checkup. I check posture, range of motion, light length, palpation, weight distribution, and that's pretty well the last time I'm going to do that because most of those findings are kibosh. They're, they're done. They're, they're, they're no longer um, abnormal. And as a matter of fact, you'll find a lot of your first progress exams that these findings are typically back to textbook normal or very close to it. And I've discovered if you're going to do it at 24th, which you can. You can do it at your 24th, which is your second month of care. You're going to find these are back to typical textbook normal. So that is the first exam, and that's usually adjustment 12 to 18. Now, I put I underline 18 because on a six-month program, which I do three times a week for six weeks, two for six weeks, and one for 14 weeks, it takes me up to six months, um, at an 18, that's three times a week for, for six weeks. So if I'm doing a shorter corrective care program, um, and for newbies, if you're starting out with this, if you're brand new, if you're a student just learning this, I recommend Get solid with the six-month program before you introduce the 12 months. You can always start with six months and introduce a wellness plan one or 52. So you got 44 and 52. You got 96 adjustments. You're off to the races. You're getting closer to that 150. Start slow, especially if your conversions are not over 75%. 
we want you guys to really nail this. Um, I, I say this to new grads that are taught this in school and, you know, to, to doctors who are struggling with maybe a socioeconomic area that's, that's depressed. It's not, it's not a rich area. There's not a lot of extra coin. Even though you're doing the doctor's report, you're doing a bang-up job on your subject-based exam, if your conversions are, are not at least 75 or over, then let's just do the six-month. So that 18 represents three times a week for six weeks. I'm going to do a biostructural checkup. And then my next exam, my second exam, is usually comparative. Now, this is usually at the three-month mark. So, yes, you can do if you want to do a 24th. You know, I do 18 at 36 which is my three-month mark because I just finished twice a week for six weeks. And I'll show you that in a care plan in a second. <clears throat> that, you know, we've done three for six, two for six, one for 14. So I've done a progress exam at the end of um, my six weeks. I've done a comparative exam at the end of the next six weeks. And this is easy to remember because I'm going from three times to twice and then once a week. Now, you can include the postural stuff at this one if you want to. It's totally up to you. Um, you can check posture, range of motion, leg length, palpation, weight distribution. It's typically normal. So what we do is we have this in the exam room. The way I teach in my coaching program, your, your x-ray, your scanners are in the exam room. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my substation core score a second time. And the other reason I wait till three months is because typically at 12 and 24 adjustments, I don't see enough neurological changes to substantiate taking a rescan. Now, the other challenge you're going to have to remember anytime you do an exam where you see exam, especially comparative initial exam and anniversary, is you have to make sure that patients don't have a stimulant. A lot of people drink coffee, and that's a sympathetic stimulator. So if you have somebody in there, yeah, I just had two coffees, they're probably going to be wired and their scans might look worse. They're going to be neurologically active. So make sure that you control that by having the CAs remind the patients they have a comparative exam tomorrow. Dr. Mike's going to do a quick rescan. Do not have coffee, all right? No stimulants. On the flip side, you get the odd person on psychotropic, like Prozac, and it's going to numb it. So you try to control it the best you can, uh, being as professional as you can. So the comparative really is substation scan and basically your, your lateral C-spine. Now let me just show you, coming back to the care plans we just talked about, um, here's a 44, easy to do, three for six, two for six, one for 14. That's 44 adjustments. Uh, you've got 18 adjustments, which is a perfect time to do your progress exam. And that's, you can uh, do that, um, you know, in your T-bar or in your exam. And then you see in red, it says home or in office traction. Now, this is where I'm going to introduce traction to the patient. I no longer do in office. I just do it at home. I found that it created bottlenecks. Um, if you're going to do it with a big room, it's going to take up a lot of space. Uh, you can charge for it. Or if you're billing insurance companies, go for it. It works well in the United States and Commonwealth countries like Canada, UK, Australia. I don't recommend it. Uh, teach the person how to use a home base unit in your in your practice on the table, and then and then get them get them home with it. And that's to me, it's 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 more affordable. It's flexible. It's more efficient, and it works. So. At the end of the 18th adjustment, we do the progress exam, and that's also our cue that, oh, uh, does this person need, you know, cervical traction? So you should have a note on your notes regarding x-ray findings. Uh, did they have the military neck? Is it the reverse curve? I'll talk about how we include that in the care plan, so it's already prepaid for. You just hand it to the patient. If they have it and they're paying per visit, they, they should pay for it. But you're going to have that in-office home-based traction given at first progress exam. Now, we don't do it day one, and I'll tell you why. 
I've discovered in 25 years of practice, if you put somebody's neck in extension and they're sympathetic heavy, um, the sympathetic chain in the front of the neck is, is overstimulated. There's a lot of stress. That person's going to have a reaction. They're going to start vomiting. They're going to get headaches. They're going to get dizzy. They're going to get into a sympathetic storm and then you're going to lose that patient. The other thing too is a lot of these people need to have their range of motion improved. So what we're going to do is we're going to relax the nervous system by adjusting for, you know, usually the first 12 to 18, I prefer 18 to 36 adjustments. We're then going to um, have them uh, learn how to use it and then start slowly. I'm going to get to that in, in a minute. Now, at the end of your next um, uh, block of care for, for twice a week, for six weeks, that's 12 adjustments, that's 30 adjustments total, that's month three, I'm going to do my comparative exam. And the comparative exams for me are the scans and usually at that point a lateral C-spine, I'm looking for change. So once again, I don't really do uh, anything. Not only am I not going to see enough neurological change, I'm not going to see enough structural change. However, remember, I started them uh, six weeks earlier on their home-based traction, so I'm looking for a little bit of a, of a comparative change. And, you know, that that aspect of anticipation that patients have started their care and, oh, we're going to take an x-ray um, coming up in six weeks, and then we're going to see how that curve is progressing. You know, patients get it. They love it. And they go, okay, that makes sense. And I'm going to do the home-based tractioning and I'm going to stick to it because Dr. Mike's going to take an x-ray down the road. And of course, at the very end of six months, we're going to do another comparative exam. That's also known as the anniversary exam. We use that for a reason because people know that it's an anniversary is usually an event that you celebrate. And remember, we always do that comparative exam or the anniversary exam. We do that for adjustments prior to the end of care. So in a 44 care program, that's usually at month five because they're down to once a week. We're going to do that comparative exam, put them in a group anniversary uh, report, and then review their subject to changes, object to changes, and then their lifestyle changes. Then ask if they want to continue care. You follow that regimen. You'll have a 95% of the people say yes. 65% will choose a wellness plan too. This every two weeks, that's done for a year. And then you rinse and repeat. You do the reassessment at the end of the next year, which is about 26 adjustments. If you're doing a 52 and it's once a week, you can do it at month six, month 12. But I think you get the idea is now all you have to do is a scan and maybe just a spot x-ray to look for those changes. So that's the six month care plan. This is the, this is the 12 month. Um, you know, I was taught over the years uh, through multiple coaching programs, um, getting close to that 150 adjustments. So this is just a 44 I just showed you, but it's double. That's all it is. So it's three times a week for 12 weeks. This is especially in phase twos, definitely phase threes that, that still have disc space. We're going to get these patients uh, on a 12-month program to actually make changes. The progress exam is done, you know, at, at 18, uh, the first 18 adjustments. They get the in-office tractioning. Uh, they're going to compare exam at month three. Um, so we finish that three times a week for 12 weeks, which is the first three months. They get their comparative exam, and then uh, we're going to do another comparative exam at the end of the twice a week, which goes for 12 weeks or 24 adjustments. So that's six months. And then I'm going to do it one more time at the end of their program, which is coming up to about 84th adjustment. That's the 11th month. That's four adjustments prior to the 88. And we're going to do that anniversary exam, which is your comparative. Remember, it's usually everything top to bottom, reassessment, x-rays, scans, and then the anniversary report. If you guys can get that and understand that, that's where things are going to happen. Now, remember, they started the home-based traction at visit 36. And keep in mind that these curves have been here for a while. 
So uh, the, the home-based traction usually hits the apex. Remember, we talked about this. If it's a kyphotic S-shaped curve, and that's that funky reversed F, that's a C2, C3. If it's a lordotic S-shaped curve, and that, that apex is usually around C5, 6, that's where you're going to do it. Same with the reverse curve. The only difference is anterior head carriages usually include uh, a reverse curve and an anterior head carriage. So you're going to be at between C5, 6, and T1, 2, and find that apex. And this is working on a principle called hysteresis and creep. And what that basically means is, is that we're retraining the Golgi receptors and uh, the mechanoreceptors within the ligaments, within the muscles, by holding it in a position. Similar to a dentist using braces to change the shape of the teeth, we're using pressure in something called static extension compression traction. It's designed to help pre-stress that curve uh, back to normal slowly and we get the maximal effect at 10 minutes. Now this is important guys because some of you will say to the patient go home and do it. I tell my patients go home and we're going to talk about the protocol in a second but I have them do it just um, a minute to start. Just a minute the first week and they're going to add two minutes per week until at about week you know uh, five they're up to about 10 minutes and then no more than that and uh, I have them do it consistently habitually like first thing in the morning Never on a soft bed, but on a hard floor like a carpet or, you know, hardwood floor because we really want to get that pressure on that neck, okay? And you keep in mind your head weighs 10 to 15 pounds. You can if you still like the wedges with the strap that goes around the forehead. I just had a lot of pukers in my practice. Uh, the two-way harness, if you use two-way off of a wall and seated seats in your practice, that works great. It's fantastic. You can do that as well. Um, you know, a lot of guys are just going the cervical traction units and, and they seem to be working well. So which ones can you use? Now, Mike Hendrickson from Custom Chiropractic sells uh, the, the wedges still. Um, you know, those, those are fantastic if you want to get a wedge, a foam wedge with the, uh, the elastic that goes over the forehead. Um, his company is called Custom Chiropractic, and you can still go for the wedges. Um, Biophysics, um, the, the guys at uh, CBP uh, have the dental rolls, which are great. I used that for a number of years. The challenge I found with the dental rolls is they take up a lot of space because you got like large, medium, and small. And about a year ago, I came across this new one by Core Products, and it's called the Cervical Orthosis. So you might want to take a picture of this one. I like this one because it's just wrapped in a bag. Um, it doesn't come in a big box. It's small. And here's the nice thing I like it about it is that all three sizes are connected in one piece. So you can see by this diagram, you just snap off the bottom. You then have a medium. You snap off two blocks. You've got a small, you leave all on, you've got a large. And that's worked really well for our patients. And basically, I, I don't have as many returns. Oh, it was too big, it was too small. The patients, I had one guy, he just put some glue glue on it and, and re-glued it back on, and, and it still worked. So um, these are uh, also less expensive. I think we buy ours for 12 bucks um, through Cairo One Source. Uh, you can go to Core Products and, and buy them there. But you know, this is easy to sell this for like $29 or $39 if you buy it for $12. You just mark it up. It's a, it's a um, product in your practice to produce a profit. It's a product in your practice to produce a profit. I've said that before. So don't give these away. We'll talk about that in a second. But this is a great one. I love it. It's, it's, it's a dense foam. It's comfortable. And yet it's going to pre-stress that curve. And, um, you know, how do you sell attraction units? Another question doctors come up. Well, here's the number one rule is don't give it away. It's very hard sometimes to ask for money, and I get that. So what we do is we make sure that we either increase our fees by a dollar, and you can do that, or even 50 cents. 
um, and build it into the cost of your adjustment. So if you're at $45, you might want to go to 46. If you're on a 44 care plan, you just charge $44 for uh, a unit you bought for $12. That's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is to charge for it in additional fees. Now I'll show you how we do this in, in our practice in a second. But you can also add it to the cost of your progress comparative x-rays and scans in your initial report of findings. So I highly recommend that you charge the patients right off the bat for it. Don't charge it, you know, um, down the road and say, oh, by the way, uh, I need to charge you for this traction. If you have a patient that signs up for a care plan, and this is a 44, you'll see right where this red arrow is, the number of exams in care plans. So we put the progress comparative, we'll put that in there, we add the cost to it, and then um, up where you see total investments for care, you're going to have your care fee, and then you might throw in an extra 150 um, for progress comparatives and your circle traction units, and just build it right into your overall care plan. Subtract insurance or extended benefits, and then you're going to have a patient balance after insurance. You have the three options: 10% for one time, 5% for three monthly payments, and then six monthly payments with the zero percent savings. This care plan is beautiful. We have a 95% conversion um, with people on a six month. A little bit lower on the 12 month, but we're still getting high, high conversions. So this is sort of simplified. It's a lot prettier when you present it. Now, for those of you who are clients, as a Jetpack Gold, um, these are actually in the care plans. You can actually go down and download these as Word doc. Just throw your logo at the top and you're good to go. So um, that's it, guys. And if you have any questions, um, just you know, feel free to... Uh, go in there and uh, send me uh, a note in the in the chat area. You can just um, you know post that question. Uh, short of that, guys, the um, the uh, replay will be sent out tomorrow and posted within our uh, library. But go back and review this. This is a very easy, simple protocol that gets you beyond that subjective or symptom based uh, um, you know practice. If you start getting into corrective care, easy way to implement it. We keep it simple. You can still see volume with this and get great corrective changes. So uh, until our next Master Talk, Power Talk, or CA call, guys, keep practicing with passion. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you on your next call. I'd love to have you subscribe, comment, like, and share this video with your friends. And don't forget to go to www.chiropractic-masters.com for more free practice building tools.